Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song Hello and welcome back PSN Racing Pod, Scuderia F1 Podcast Crossover, Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton And the one and only Tim Haraney Join you to break down one of the most exciting races of the year If not ever At Silverstone this uh, past afternoon Guys, what a race, what a weekend. We'll get into all the action, but we should, first of all, before we go any further, we should talk about what happened at turn one. We don't need to, well, we'll get into what happened with Carlos, what happened with Max, what happened with Lewis, what with everyone else, but what everybody's going to be talking about, what everybody's going to remember, first of all, was that big crash between George Russell and Joe Guan Yu. Joe going into the gravel on top of the roll bar, on top of the halo, Car flips over just before the tire barriers ha- ends up between the tires and the catch fencing. Boy, was he ever lucky to walk away from that one. I know they put him on the stretcher. I know they took him to the medical center. But by the end of the race, he was back in the paddock talking to people and uh, obviously used up one of his nine lives. Uh, Tim, as a former racing driver, when things go wrong like that, and it happens to everybody at some point, you're just it's just part of the job. You're going to have an accident. But when the car goes out of control like that, and you are no longer have any say what that car is going to do and where it's going to end up, what goes through your mind? Ah, uh, God, this is going to hurt. Re- remember, <laughs> this is a family show, so you got to keep it clean. But... <laughs> I know, that's what I was saying. Like, I was just about to say something else, but I knew that uh, we might have... Uh, kids listening, so I cleaned it up a bit. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, when you're when you're gonna have like a big crash, that's when you know how fast you're going. Like, because once you get acclimatized with the car and you get into a rhythm, and you know you're putting your mind ahead of the car, your things tend to slow down a bit for you, and you're able to manage a lot more. And the sensation of speed isn't as great. Uh, but when you make a mistake or in Joe Guan Yu's instance, when, you know, things are sometimes out of your control, uh, you know how fast you're going at that point because things happen really fast. But, and then there's a flip side to that because when you're, you're into the situation or you're into the mistake or you're, you know, you're going to be hitting something, things tend to slow down even more. And it feels like it takes forever where it's just like, okay, I know I'm going to hit something really hard. It was taking forever for it to happen. And then once it happens, then it just knocks the just knocks everything out of you. It's it's uh it's an experience unlike any other. Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. 
since my racing days and yeah it's it's scary you know it was really quite surreal because it, we had about what is a 45 minute or 60 minute delay while they you know first of all went and uh, you know made sure that uh, joe was okay and then they had to put the barriers back and everything get the circuit ready to race on again so during that time, you know, being here on the West Coast and this race, you know, starting at what, 5 a.m. local time, I decided I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to watch it after breakfast. So having the benefit of the race already being over, I went back and decided instead of just fast forwarding to the restart at about 60 minutes into the feed, I decided to go back and watch the in-car cameras of some of the different players involved because, you know, and rightly so, they don't show these replays until they know that a driver is okay in this day and age. I'm perfectly fine with that because you don't want to capture somebody when they're at the most vulnerable, when they're in a horrible situation. So no problems with that. But, you know, my wife had accidentally come across the uh, the result of the race before we sat down and she said you know he's okay just uh, you know go back and let let's take a look so we went back we checked out some of the different in car cameras from Yuki from Pierre from George from from Joe and all these different guys that were involved and it was crazy when you just kind of like go back and you just see all the different things that were happening frankly it looked like me playing F1 on my PlayStation where I end up, I qualify in 18th and I try to make up 15 grid places by the first corner. There were cars just flying all over the place. And it was just, it was really scary the way that, because you had Pierre in the middle, he got kind of sandwiched by George, who I don't know if he completely saw Pierre in the middle there. And he sort of, he clips his front there and that sort of sends him sort of left he tilts his car a little bit to the left, then he goes into Joe, and then, you know, the rest is history. But it was quite something to see when those cars all came to a stop that the first thing that George Russell did was get out of his car and sprint across the, the gravel. Tim, when you were in uh, some of the, uh, the, the press conferences uh, this afternoon, did anybody talk about that? Or did you uh, hear from Toto? Did you hear from George? What, what did they yes. have to say? Yeah, everybody, everyone who I heard from today, first things out of their mouths was... They were happy that Joe Guan Yu uh, was okay. Um, some of them not knowing the situation of Alex, because Alex was also hospitalized as well. Uh, but those who did also expressed that they were glad that he was okay as well. And that's, you know, I don't know if we go back like five years ago. I don't know if we get that. You know yeah, I mean? maybe not. It's right? just different. It's just different. I think like, the younger generation, the younger generation of driver, I don't want to say has respect because the older generation had respect for each other, but it's just different. Like there's more camaraderie, I would say, between uh, these younger generation drivers. And uh, I think that's cool because it shows solidarity uh, uh, in some instances, and especially with this one. Like I think it was great that every driver acknowledged um, the incident and we're just thankful that, um, everyone was okay. Like, uh, Mark, I, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah. I woke up and I'll be honest, I was kind of taking the Mark daily strategy this morning to <laughs> watching formula one after my breakfast, because of course we're in the Pacific time zone, but I didn't get the opportunity because my phone started blowing up and nobody was being really specific with what was happening, but they were saying, thank goodness for the halo. Thank goodness for the halo. Thank goodness for the halo. And honestly, how many times now since the halo was introduced for the 2018 season, have we sat down and honestly, meaningfully, sincerely said, that halo probably just saved somebody's life. And I think this is a perfect example of 
I don't think it was even in question what possibly could have happened, not only during the Grand Prix, but during the F2 race that happened earlier in the day, that the halo saved a human being's life. And I think the other thing that this is a reminder of is just how incredibly vulnerable these drivers are and just how dangerous this sport is. And Tim, I think you did a really good job a couple of moments ago summarizing what that experience is as a driver, because we sit here and we watch it. And I think sometimes we're so disconnected that sometimes it feels like a PlayStation game and we see the driver get out, but it was an incredible way to start a Grand Prix and obviously not something that any of us would ever have wanted to watch, but it was also really, I would say, really terrifying in the sense that the accident happened. Obviously, I knew that the outcome was going to be favorable to the driver because people had kind of teed that up to me or kind of calibrated my expectations when I was reading my text messages. But when you go back and look, it felt like he was trapped in that car sideways, sandwiched between the catch fence and the backside of that tire barrier for an eternity. And I know after the race, uh, the young rookie was incredibly gracious towards the medical team and the marshals for managing to extract him out of that car. And we had some marshals that joined us on one of our recent spaces chat and they talked about Montreal, but it also just really reinforces the value of the marshals that their responsibility is to get that driver with the assistance and in the collaboration of this medical team out of that car safely. Like if you look at those photos, Tim, if you look at those photos daily, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a miracle. They were able yeah. to do so. Yeah. So I, uh, good, good point. There's one thing I want to bring up with that. If when you're a driver and you're trapped in a situation um, like, like that, and you can't get out. You can't move. There's nothing you can do. You're you're stuck. There's so many things go through your mind. There is so much anxiety. There is so much stress because you know sometimes you're thinking like, I hope the car doesn't catch on fire because there's no one around. Yeah. There's no one with me. There's no one here to help me. Like I, I'm a, I'm just a sitting duck here, and and that's it. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what has happened. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm trapped. Like, is this it? That's those are the things that like as a driver, well, not all drivers, I shouldn't say that, but for myself and in one of my situations that I've had, that was that was something went through my mind. It was just like, is this it? Like, I don't even know how I'm gonna get out of here. Like I oh, and I think like that's 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 why I I think you know, one of the reasons why you see Russell running over like that is that you know, one to check on to make he's all right, but but make sure he's got someone else there with him at the same time. Um, and yeah, I think like from George's standpoint, you know, that's, that's a really, uh, that's a really great thing that George did today, like unbuckling yourself and just jumping out of the car and racing your ass over there to make sure that the other driver is okay. And making sure there's something, you know, you may be able to do to help if you can help and being kind of the first on the scene is if you can, like, you may save a person's life by doing that, right? So I, I have to give uh, George a huge amount of respect for what he did today. Yeah, absolutely. I just uh, before we tie this one up, uh, I also just want to talk about talk about Alex Albon. But just to, to finish talking about Joe Guan Yu, um, when, when I saw the pictures, because like, I didn't immediately realize that he went over the tires and the in between the, the the barriers and the crash fencing immediately, even after watching all the uh, the different in car cameras. But w- when they finally showed that replay, my first uh, my first uh, reaction was, "Oh my god, I'm glad he's okay." But then my my second almost uh, my my heart stopped. I was like. My God, what if one of the marshals, one of the track workers was standing right there? I mean, it was it was freaky for for so many reasons, right? And then, yeah, Tim, just uh, jump yeah. in there. Go ahead. 
just before like you move on to, to Alex, just one more thing about that, that crash that like really stands out to me. And not a lot of people have talked about it just yet. It's, it's the roll hoop and how that got sheared right off. And it was sheared by looking at the images and I've gone through Getty images like frame by frame. And by looking at the images, it appears that that was sheared off before he even before he even got to that tire barrier and went over it. And and thank God for the halo, because if the if that halo is not there and that roll hoop gets sheared off, I, I think we're looking at a different outcome, guys. Yeah, well, like, I mean, I, yeah, sorry, Tim, I was just going to say, I mean, just like as Hammy said a little while ago. Right from almost the very beginning, since the thing was introduced several years ago, it, it's proved to be a lifesaver. I mean, just look at uh, Fernando and Charles at Spa a couple of years ago. They go into La Source into turn one, and I think it was Nico Hulkenberg went up the back of one of them. I think, what was it, uh, Charles actually had like rubber on his helmet. We saw it last yeah. year at Monza between Lewis and Max when Max yeah. parked his car on the top of Lewis's and and yeah. so on. It's just uh, proved and then to be... Bahrain as well, like Bahrain, with, yeah. uh, with Grosjean. I mean, yeah. the Halo can open well i mean protected grosjean's head like no questions absolutely. asked about that one yeah, and then we also like if for those who don't know like with the roll hoop the roll hoop's actually behind the driver's head it's like where the air intake is so you'll see a big black spot where the air kind of goes into the engine cools things down or it helps with the power unit um that's the roll hoop and that's not supposed to fail I have never seen, and I've been in racing since I was like nine years old. I've never seen a roll hoop on a formula car get sheared away like that ever. I've never seen it. So I think moving forward, I'm pretty sure like it, I can't say definitively whether or not the FIA and F1 will take a look at it, but they usually, what they usually do is crashes like this. They dissect them and see what they can do better. With yeah. these crashes that we we saw here today, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be doing the same. And one last thing, shout out to that catch fence and making sure. And the FIA, I know we don't like speak well of the FIA, <laughs> but like at the end of the day, like that's an FIA grade catch fence that they have to inspect. They have to inspect every inch of this track before these drivers hit the track. If that if that catch fence is not up to standard. This is uh this is this is a horrifying crash, guys. Yeah, totally. I was just going to add one more thing to what you're just uh, talking about, like the, uh, the 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 roll hoop there, Tim. Is just uh, because it's sheared off, and like you say, that's not a part of the car that's so, supposed to fail. You see, like the way that these cars disintegrate in way uh, in a manner to dissipate the energy from from these uh, different accidents. And there's certain areas around the car that are supposed to be intact to protect the driver in a horrible crash like this. So I'm just wondering, was there some way the way that the car went into the gravel? inverted that it stressed it in a way that maybe, maybe. had not been stressed before i mean yeah. th you know you always hear these things afterwards like mm -hmm. you know like when mick had his crash at uh, jetta a couple of months ago it's like mm -hmm. well there's like 50 plus g accident and whatever it is i mean these numbers will come out over the you know the weeks and days ahead of us it'll be interesting uh, to hear but quickly now let's just uh, get a quick update on uh, alex albon because he kind of flew under the radar a little bit because as everybody kind of compressed into turn one there it was sebastian vettel i mean another horse 
horrifying qualifying session for the Aston Martins, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But Seb went up the back of Alex. He spun around. Everybody at this point was going into to, to one another from about car 10 back to 20. And it was, uh, like I said, it kind of flew under the radar that Alex actually was flown away from mm. Silverstone at one point, went to Coventry Hospital for examination. I think he did return later on. Tim, what's the latest with Alexander Albon? Yeah, it sounds like he's uh, sounds like he's probably going to be discharged here, uh, which is good. He gave that Twitter update um, for those who who don't know. Um, Alex did post uh, a comment on Twitter uh, saying that he was all okay. <laughs> he said the pets are okay. <laughs> and then he said he's uh, he's glad though that uh, Joe Guan Yu is is okay, and he wanted to thank the medical staff and everyone for all their uh, for all their kind messages. Uh, but he says eyes already on Austria, so that sounds like he'll be racing. That's great. You know, I actually I thought he'd been discharged and went back. I didn't realize he was still in in hospital after the the, the race was over. I mean, it's just so many things going on. But guys, let's yeah, switch gears now. Let's uh, just uh, talk briefly about it. Let's go down the uh, the final race classification. Carlos Sainz for Ferrari gets his first win. In Formula One, first win as a, as a Ferrari driver. Sergio Perez came from all the way at the back of the field to finish second. Lewis Hamilton got a podium. Charles Leclerc probably should have been on the Well, he should have been on the podium, probably should have won this one. He ends up off the podium in fourth. Fernando Alonso, no, you did not hear me incorrectly. Fernando fifth for the Alpine. Lando North sixth for McLaren. Seventh was Max Verstappen. No, again, you did not hear that incorrectly. Mick Schumacher getting his first F1 point for Haas. Ninth was Sebastian Vettel for the Aston Martin. A nice recovery from a pretty horrible qualifying. And 10th was Kevin Magnussen in the second Haas. So, so a double points finish for the Haases, and they did not qualify well. So we've talked, uh, so, you know, it's taken us like about 15 minutes just to break down the first five <laughs> seconds of the race here. So uh, we, we've talked about that, but I mean, we have to talk about qualifying because for two races in a row, like we saw in Montreal, the Canadian Grand Prix, our home Grand Prix two weeks ago, we had a wet qualifying and it flipped everything upside down and it made things for, you know, it made for a pretty interesting start to the race. It was an exciting qualifying Hamilton, why don't you take it away? Your thoughts on qualifying, Carlos Sainz taking pole, ultimately winning the race, but uh, it was exciting. It was a fun, fun qualifying session to watch. We had a little bit of everything this weekend at the British Grand Prix. You know, the British Grand Prix can be wet. It can be a little bit slippery. It can be dry. And this weekend, we got a bit of both. So for the 140,000 people that were in attendance for qualifying on Saturday, you know, I apologize. You all got a little bit wet, but presumably most of you had tickets for Sunday and that was redeemed by a nice dry race day. But ultimately, I think my takeaway are a couple of things. One, that Max Verstappen looked absolutely phenomenal through Q1, Q2. Obviously, the opportunity didn't present itself for him to put in another lap in Q3 and Carlos Sainz in his 150th career Grand Prix stole pole. As we saw last weekend, of course, Max Verstappen scores pole, steals the race win, and that was ultimately going to be the outcome here, not to steal any of the thunder, because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know the outcome. But for me, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about qualifying, and this comes as a bit of a surprise, is if you go all the way down the grid, if you go all the way to the bottom of the construction 
Masters Championship. Obviously, we talk a lot about Nicholas Latifi, near dear to our hearts as a young Canadian driver. Ah, maybe not so young, but as a talented young Canadian driver <laughs> who hasn't had a lot of fortune this year. Um, went into this race weekend. His teammate, Alexander Albon, got some significant upgrades to his Williams. He didn't. He managed to put together a fantastic Q1, a fantastic Q2, squeezed into Q3 for, I believe, the first time. And keep me keep me honest here, Tim. I think this is the first Q3 of his career. It is. Yeah, first Q3 first, of his career. Yeah, first one. He started 10th in uh, Belgium. I believe he, qual- in 2021, I believe he qualified P12 uh, for that. And then there were some grid penalties. Uh, for, I can't remember who, who got them, but there were grid penalties further up. And that's how he got moved up to the to the starting grid as P10. So not not his best, qual- but first time into Q3. Yeah. And let's Definitely. not forget he had a good start at, uh, well, the first start uh, this morning as well, uh, before the, the, the race was, uh, oh, yeah. well, uh, red flagged. I mean, he took off like a rocket. Oh, Nikki yeah. had a great start. <laughs> it was unfortunate that the race had to come to a grinding halt uh, one corner in, but exciting watch. Tim, you know, I wanted to ask you from a driver's point of view, <laughs> qualifying was just bananas, right? It's raining, then the rain eases off, then it picks back up. It looks like a typical afternoon in Vancouver, which is exactly how the weather was here today. But when you're trying to get out there, you're, you're trying to set up your car, you know, you're, you're going from inters to wets back to inters and the weather is changing every couple of minutes. How do you prepare for that? How can you even adapt to that? If, uh, you know, the, the end of the lap is going to be completely different than the start of the lap. It's just, uh, I don't recall seeing a, a qualifying session quite like this one. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, it's all improvisation. That's all it is. You're just making it up as you go along in all honesty. And uh, you're trying to sense where the grip is or where the grip could be, or you're trying to find some tire tracks like with these cars, you know, obviously they, they bring up all the water out of the pavement. And when they do that, they leave like lines in the track where the tires go. Sometimes you're trying to aim for those because there's going to be the most grip there. Uh, Essentially. Yeah, you're just trying to stay ahead of the game. And I think one of the things that was so great with with Nicholas uh, during qualifying was that the team were very aggressive with how they got him out. His side of the garage made sure that he was the first car down pit lane for both Q1 and Q2, and he was going to be the first one to leave because that puts him in a better position to possibly get a quick lap in. And if rain comes, he's already got that lap in the bank. No one's going to go any faster. So it was a smart move by the team to actually do that. So if you go back and you watch it, you can see every time out, he's the first one at the, at the front of the field, getting ready to go out. And another thing is 
he absolutely drove his heart out this weekend. And this car has no business being anywhere where it was. Okay. No business whatsoever. We can stick with qualifying for now if you want, guys, or we can just move into the race with Nikki because uh, let me tell you, he was uh, he was incredible in, in qualifying. I don't think Alex was too happy about what happened with his strategy. The team wanted him to do a push, cool push, uh, which was odd. I'm not too sure why they wanted to do that because usually they filled them up with so much fuel. So you just leave them out there and start running and get some heat in the inters. That's basically all you got to do. Uh, I think the upgrades, from my understanding, the upgrades are kind of working. They haven't gotten enough uh, aero data to basically see if they're they're working. They call it uh, air noise is what they call it. And so basically, if the car is not um, running enough, they're not getting enough of the aero data. And if it's windy, it actually upsets like the data that they're getting because it's destroying the airflow and how it comes to the car and how it comes off the car. Um, so, but apparently, I mean, they, it looks okay, but at the end of the day, guys, like they need a ton of downforce. And today watching the race, uh, if you're new to formula one or you're just getting into it, I mean, that's one of the things that the Williams car does not have is, is downforce. <laughs> doesn't have it <laughs> which is a bit of a key component to modern formula one cars yeah <laughs> that's the thing like you're making this williams car you would think like hey like we need to make sure we we ratchet on as much downforce in this thing maybe not do away with the side pods maybe let's use those and then make a stronger floor like it just uh... and now with albin's crash i mean so i was talking to nikki on uh thursday and he was saying like uh, you know, I'm like, yo, wait, when are you getting the the upgrades here? He said, not till France. But that rests on like crash damage from hearing from, I heard from Yos Capito on uh, Saturday. And so he's saying that, that the crash damage is going to put behind when Nicholas could get the upgrades. So let's say that now because of Alex's crash damage, Nikki may not get upgrades until who knows when maybe hungry or something. No, I mean, and sucks. that's just, I, that sucks. Like he would be, he is like driving a very difficult car that is not competitive. And he almost scored points for Williams. He was close to giving them some of their best points of the season. And he, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, that's not for sure going to happen. I mean, no one has told me that I'm assuming that is probably what's going to happen from what I've heard. But at the end of the day, Oh, guys. Well, it's just one of those things again, right, Tim, that sometimes things go your way and sometimes they don't. And then when you're already struggling like Nikki has for most of the season, it's just like, yeah. you know, what, what do you got to do to get a break? Yeah. Um, before we go on to the rest of the, uh, uh, onto the race proper now, Mark will kill me if I don't mention our sort of our pet team here. And that's the uh, Aston Martin and the obvious Canadian ca uh, connections there. As I've said a couple of times, they had a terrible Saturday. Sebastian Vettel qualifies 18th, Lance qualifies in 20th, and it wasn't because of grid penalties. He was just out and out the slowest guy on the track. His time was a 143.4. Compare that to like Max, his fastest time in Q1 was 139.12. I mean, that's like a light year of distance uh, between them. But, but Hammy, at the end of the day, Sunday, Vettel scores a P9. Lance is just out of the points in P11. It kind of their their weekend turned completely around. What, what do you make of that? 
It definitely did. And one of the things that we didn't get to see on the broadcast, and if you're interested, and I don't know that our American listeners will be, but if you do go back and look at some of the alternative camera angles, there were some really great battles between Nicholas Latifi and Lance Stroll fighting for Hmm. position, fighting for that P11 down the stretch. And obviously, we know they've come together in the past. There's been a little bit of Canadian on Canadian violence this year, but uh, they had a really great battle, which is probably worth revisiting. And, you know, just to kind of build on what Tim was saying a couple of minutes ago about some of the struggles that Williams has had this year. This this thought occurred to me during the race as well is that so far this year, we've seen an awful lot of street tracks. We've seen a lot of hybrids. And I think one of the things that that Williams car really struggles with is being able to rotate and pivot through tight technical turns. And I think, I hope as we get into the portion of the season that has a lot more dedicated tracks, which have faster sweeping flowing corners, maybe some of the weak of that car won't be as obvious and it will give the time or give the team a little bit of an opportunity to get some of those upgrades to to Nikki but to Tim's point I think Nikki drove the wheels off of that car this this weekend and obviously he's had to live in a world where he's just been struggling with negative media and obviously there's been stories about him and who's going to replace him and when that replacement's going to come but I think this was a a good weekend for him and you know he said for me and I'm just quoting Nicholas here for me it doesn't really give me any more relief or comfort Latifi told reporters but it is naturally a confidence booster I know I am capable of these performances and I can drive as quick as I need to drive to know I deserve to be in Formula One when things are going right things have not been going well there's no secret about that and finally he says I don't really take much relief in this result but I obviously take a lot of sass faction in it, if that makes any sense. So again, agree. I feel like I've been living on Latifi Island for a very long time. Real <laughs> estate is very cheap. If you, you want to come and join me here. You can see the look on his face after that Q3, man. Like, and you yep. can sit here and tell me that he wasn't satisfied. <sighs> that that was a statement. That was a, that was a statement from him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was good you for can him. just good see for it on his face. Yeah, Good for the Definitely. confidence. You know what I mean? Like, if we look at, uh, let's take Carlos Sainz, for instance, right? Does really well in Canada. Uh, believes he's the fastest there was in Canada. And comes to Silverstone, gets pole, gets the win. So you can see the confidence in, in him start to come through. Confidence is a hell of a thing in racing, guys. In sports in general, like you all know. But something like this, a result or a weekend like this for Nicholas, I think... That for for him, that sets him. He's, he's going to have some success here. He's and he's going to have to like. He's going to have to like. He's going to have to have a, a few more of weekends like this. I think just to to stay around in Formula One, guys. I just yeah, totally agree. Daily, you know, in podcasting, podcasting one hundred and one, you don't ever want to get too regional with your coverage, and we're probably <laughs> uh, we're probably yeah. boring our non-Canadian listeners For at sure. this point. But but uh, I think the final thought, just because you'd asked that question on Aston Martin, my friend, is obviously you and I have been kind of waving that Aston Martin flag for a couple of years now. I think at times it felt like it was a a frustrating experience, but it was great to see that they were able to put in a couple of top-notch performances. And I certainly was not expecting to see Seb Vettel score points and not only that and we'll get to this a little bit later on but he wasn't even the only german driver to score points this weekend yeah, totally. Scored points on his birthday too right seb's, seb's birthday on sunday oh Guy yeah i didn't even catch points. that yeah that's him. right yeah so good for him i think for you know for for lance uh and aston martin they're after the race i mean obviously they didn't have good qualifying but they're much more 
they're much more optimistic uh, with this car now after after the race. Hearing hearing from Lance, um, and he sees a lot of potential uh, for in some races to come. In particular, you know, hearing from Mike Crack, uh, Austria could be a track where they could have some pretty big success. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I think it's exciting times for Aston Martin. I said this on Sports Center after Canada. They could play, you know, they could throw a wrench into some teams' plans later on down the road. And yeah, I think they they still can. It's just trying to figure out the new upgrades. And they did bring new upgrades uh, to the car for this weekend as well. So I think in terms of the Aston Martin really going through more upgrades for the rest of the season, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, kind of, I think it's what you see is what you're going to get for the rest of the season. They may bring other little tiny things, but in terms of big overhauls, like they've done, that's it for now. All right. Well, let's move along now. We've uh, talked about a lot of set it up nicely, but uh, let's talk now about the, the main course. Uh, of course, uh, Carlos Sainz, Ferrari wins this race, but boy, it did not come easy. It looked like it could have uh, gone could have gone a couple of different ways there, especially in those last uh, 10, uh, 10 laps or so. Uh, Hammy, you set up a bunch of really great stats here uh, just regarding Carlos Sainz's maiden Grand Prix in Formula One. Why don't you read them off? I don't want to take the credit for all your uh, hard work and all your digging, so let all the good folks that, <laughs> that are listening uh, listen to or find out uh, what you found out about Carlos and his first win in Formula One. I appreciate that, my friend. I appreciate that. And I'll just add, and I'm sure both of you absolutely agree, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners listeners at home are eager to get a sense of of our thoughts on this Grand Prix. But to me, this was not only a sensational finish, but one of the best Grand Prix I've seen in years or decades. And just kind of some of the stats that helped to tee this one up. But for the second straight race, a driver starting his 150th Grand Prix took victory from pole. We saw Max do that last weekend, which is incredibly exciting. Carlos Sainz is the first Spanish race winner other than Alonso, who had scored 32 race wins between 2003 and 2013. Sainz is 150 races before his first win is the long, second longest wait in F1 history, second only behind Sergio Perez, who waited 190 Grand Prix before scoring his maiden win in 2020. It's Sainz's sixth podium this season compared to four for his teammate Leclerc, despite the fact that Leclerc, uh, it seems, has been overwhelmed the hands-on favorite or the odds-on favorite to compete with Max for a title this year. Science has given Ferrari their 15th Silverstone victory, their first dating back to the 1950s. After taking P4, Leclerc has no podium finish in the last five races. And then finally, the last kind of stat I have here to set this up, Leclerc's P4 means he has finished fourth or better in the last five Silverstone races races. So uh, a couple of Ferrari stats to kind of get the juices flowing before we jump into this. Okay. So before we kind of line up, so the the big story here was for a, a large portion of the race, it was Sainz in leading Leclerc, and Leclerc obviously had some damage to the front uh, right wing. Uh, that that end plate uh, broke off after the restart. He uh, really pushed his way past uh, Sergio Perez. I had to think there for a moment. That end plate comes off, but it didn't really appear to affect the performance or the speed on that car, even though he, he was on the radio to the pits. They told him, yes, you're going to be suffering a bit of loss of downforce, but he was complaining a lot of times that, you know, switch us around. I'm faster than Carlos. Let me go. 
And eventually it comes down to this wild, crazy shootout that we have at the end because Esteban Ocon, about uh, 12 laps from the end of the race, his fuel pump uh, uh, fails on him. He pulls over to the side of the track by the uh, the old uh, pit lane there. Nowhere where they can get this car out of the way easily. So no VSC, full-on safety car. Everybody comes in. You would have thought that perhaps uh, that uh, Charles, pardon me, would have been called into the pits first. They pull in Carlos. Lewis comes in because Lewis was closing that gap and it was really interesting before that just watching them because it, Lewis really extended that stint on his first set of tires as long as he could go. And the longer that you heard the the, the Ferrari uh, comms going back and forth, whether or not, you know, we should switch the cars around and Charles saying he's faster and all these things. It just felt like this race was going to play into Lewis's hands. And it seemed at one point, and my wife and I were talking about, we we're watching it, that we felt at some point that Ferrari's going to blow it <laughs> and Lewis is going to win that race, which would have been a great result for Lewis. I mean, uh, let, let's face it, it would have been uh, unexpected, especially this year. And somehow, <laughs> you know, you come down to this 10 laps from the end in the safety car. Did they make the right call by uh, pitting uh, Carlos, not Charles, should have they done the double stack and Charles after the race being very diplomatic. He said he was not happy, but quite correctly and very sporting of him really tried to put the attention on Carlos and his first win in Formula One rather than some, in, you know, some inner drama and politics at uh, Ferrari. Guys, do you think that uh, that Ferrari made the right call? Who wants to take that one first? Are you both? Am I going to have to pick someone? <laughs> Hamilton's <laughs> pointed to you. So, Harini, go for it. <laughs> okay, take it away. Oh, my God. Why don't you just double stack them? Give me a break. <laughs> Honestly, like enough BSing around here. Like, ah, oh, I get uh, so frustrated with Ferrari sometimes because it's right there. Right, guys? It's right. It's right there. All you got to do, and look, I'm not a, I'm not an engineer. I don't play one in real life, but I know when you have a big enough gap that you can actually do two cars at once. Are you going to give up track position? Yes, because everyone else is going to pit as well. It's an advantage. You're all going to take the same advantage, right? Like, <laughs> there was only one other driver who didn't pit. It was Kevin Magnuson. And he was running on a hard tire <laughs> compound. It was like ancient. He wasn't pitting at all. He was committed to what his strategy was. These guys... None of them were at that point. Everything went out the window. Everybody pitted. You're kidding me. You're telling me that you're not going to pit Charles Leclerc. He's on a set of worn, hard tires. You know the competition's going to put on the softs, which mm -hmm. were more durable than people thought they were, and they provided better performance. Ah, like, <laughs> what did you, like, what did they think was going to happen? And then I think at the end of the day, like one of the things that frustrates me the most is that Leclerc is the closer Ferrari driver in the driver's championship standings. Okay. He is closer than Carlos Sainz is to Max Verstappen. And look, I've got no dog in this fight whatsoever. Okay. It doesn't really matter to me who is going to win this championship or, you know, which Ferrari driver is going to finish up being the closest in the, in the driver's championship. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I just want to see it close. Right. And right now, Verstappen is walking away with this thing. Mm -hmm. And you have to take care. I don't want to call him number one driver, but your driver who's closer to Max in the championship, you have to prioritize that driver. I, I just think that's what you, you have to do. You know what I mean? Like, we're 10, what are we, what, 10, 10 races in? 
There's only 12 more to go. Verstappen's got a massive, massive lead on pretty much everybody. And Charles Leclerc has every chance of winning this thing. Okay. He's already shown the pace. He's an incredible qualifier. You give him a car that's going to be a little bit nicer on the tires in the race. He's going to win more races. It's just all the way. That's just how it goes right now. Okay. He's, he's driving really well. So I just don't get that guys. I don't understand. And then, you know, I heard from Mateo, Mateo Bonotto afterwards, you know, he thought that they were too close together to come in and pit them to do a double stack, which I don't think so. I believe there was a nine second gap. That's more than enough. And I think they also felt that the hard tire compound was, was going to be okay. But what do you like? How? Like you, we all, Hammy's got his arms up. <laughs> I think it's exasperation. <laughs> it's just pure exasperation. And you know, Tim, I agree with everything that you're saying. All I want to see this year is a close championship. And I think my fear daily asked me going into this Grand Prix, like, Hey, what is your prediction? I'm like, Man, my fear, my fear is that it's going to be a Red Bull 1-2, a Red Bull 1-3, Max is going to win, and they're going to put even more Delta in the championship, and the back half of this season is just going to fall apart in terms of interest level because it's going to be a romp. Max is going to romp to the championship. Today, Max had an issue, and we'll talk about this a little bit. He had some damage to the bottom of his floor. He wasn't generating downforce. He ultimately finished his P7. But Ferrari have this opportunity where if they had double stacked, they could have taken a 1-2. And now, again, Leclerc still puts a kind of makes up a little bit of ground to Max. I think he made up six points, but it could have been so much more. The guy didn't even finish on the podium. And I think my... My my frustration with the with the Ferrari strategy goes beyond what we saw in those last 10 laps, right? Like we saw this earlier in the race that despite the fact that he was missing the end plate on the right side of his wing, Charles Leclerc had significantly better pace than Carlos Sainz all race, but he was constantly being held back, constantly being held back. And then all of a sudden, when you're in this position where, hey, you have an actual physical safety car with 10 laps left. And at that point, let's be honest, at that point on lap 42, the hard tires that Leclerc were wearing were already 16 laps old. They I were know, old this is what tires I'm, at that point. I know like, what this I'm is saying. not even a negotiable tactic. Like you bring him in, you bring in and you do the double stack and then you let the two of them fight it out over the last 10 laps. They didn't give him the opportunity. They left him out there as fodder. And what was even more bizarre about it is when they did release the cars and the safety car retreated off the track, they radioed into Carlos Sainz saying, hey, you know what? Give, give Charles Leclerc a 10 car length space to make sure that Lewis can't catch him. Like it was, it was bizarre. Like, what are you saying at that point that you're going to sacrifice Carlos signs in the hopes of keeping Lewis behind? Like everything about Ferrari today was bizarre. Just it bizarre. Make, it, didn't it didn't make, make any, any sense. sense. It's a great point. That you, <laughs> it's a great point that you bring up Hammy, because it's kind of like, you're going to ask Carlos signs to hold up Lewis Hamilton. Who's on also a newer set of soft tires so is Carlos Sainz, but your teammate is on older, hard yes. compound tires, and you're going to want to let him get away. Do you know how fast Lewis Hamilton would have wheeled Charles Leclerc in if he hadn't gotten past Carlos Sainz? Would have been like that. Yeah, Game it would have been easy. It would have been so easy for him. Like it just, I just, it frustrates me to no end, guys, because I, uh, I just, um, I, sometimes I just don't understand what Ferrari's doing. And, you know, I think this is a championship that, and we talked about this on a group chat that could be a lot closer. 
Like, I think this driver's championship could be much, much closer for Ferrari. And I think Ferrari has the competitive machinery that they can win both constructors and drivers. Daily thoughts. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, just to add to your comments uh, about being so frustrated with the Ferrari, after we heard that radio conversation coming from the Ferrari pit while telling to uh, telling Carlos to basically hold off and back Lewis off and give him that gap, my wife just so, so deadpanly said, what is it about Ferrari that they just don't see for themselves on the pit wall in the garage what is so obvious to like the other 8 billion people on the planet that are watching this race. It's just like, it, it, and it's it's not just today, it, it's this pattern. It just seems to be systemic. It seems to be institutional within that team. And it, it, it's so frustrating because like you say- Daily. Yeah, I'm sorry, jump in there, uh, Mark, anytime. No, I was just going to say the three of us sat here 33 days ago after Monaco talking mm-hmm. about this. And this is from motorsport.com from dated May 30th. The Marinello squad has been or had been in a commanding position running one, two at Monte Carlos when a series of massive tactical and strategic errors cost it the win and mm-hmm. especially hurt Charles Leclerc. 33 days later, we are here having an almost identical <laughs> conversation. And the only reason the clouds aren't darker over Marinello is Carlos Sainz was able to score a victory. Yep. But once again, this should have been an easy one too. And Charles yes. Leclerc, who Tim, you it talked about, one too. he is the one that is closer in the World Drivers Championship. He should have been eating away at Max Verstappen's lead. And ultimately, he he makes some inroads, six points, but it six. could have been 15. It could have been significantly more. It's just unacceptable. And I don't know where the accountability lies on ultimately, I suppose, is Matteo Bonato. But ultimately, we don't know or we're not seeing that that, that accountability is being manifested in meaningful any meaningful way because it keeps happening. Like you said, Daly, it seems to be almost institutional at this point. Yeah, and that's a frustrating thing because ultimately, at the end of the day, it goes down to exactly what Tim was just saying, that if they were making the correct calls on the pit wall, if they're you know, reading the situation like literally everybody else is seeing, and you know, I know it's a bit of a different thing when you're watching casually in your living room, but it's, it, it's you know, I, I agree with Tim that this gap in the championship should be closer because if you look now, Max is uh, 181 points, Sergio's uh, in second with 147, Charles 138. I mean, that's a a lot of ground to try and make up. I mean, sure, we got 12 races left in the season or whatever it is, but Max is going to have to have like a lot of bad luck. He's going to have to have a lot more days like today where he has some sort of mechanical issue or some other problem or he DNFs or whatever. And Charles has to just basically gobble up that lead. And, you know, it it just does not seem likely at, at this point. And you see now Carlos is closing in a little bit on Charles because he's now, well, he's he's fourth in the championship with 127 points. And then George, uh, fifth in the championship with 111. But I mean, you look at the constructors. Sorry, go ahead, Tim, jump in there. Just, um... I want to throw this out and for even for people who are listening. So Mattia Bonotto says that they don't want to give up track position, right? 
And obviously, in racing, you never want to give up track position. But at this sense, who would you have been giving track position up to? Were, you, were they worried about Lewis? Like, at the end of the day, like, Hamilton's not a dummy. He's coming into pit. Like, mm-hmm. he's coming to get fresh tires. Who are you giving up track position to? Everyone was going to do the exact same thing you were going to do. So, yes, let's say they do a double stack and Lewis takes over the lead. Let's just say, we're just throwing this out there. You're telling me that a Ferrari driven by both Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz isn't going to catch Lewis Hamilton on old used tires? <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't compute, right? I mean, it's it uh, it's, it's, it's not logical. It's it's completely it illogical. Sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. that was sorry to cut you up, Daily, but yeah, I just yeah, it's been bothering me all day. <laughs> it's like it's like Harry said, right? He just wants some accountability, or you just an explanation, like. Just give it to me straight. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the only thing I was going to lead on or go uh, further on after you jumped in there, Tim, was I was just going to just point out the difference in the constructors now because I mean, you got that big gap between from Max to Charles, who's third in the championship. But you look at the constructors uh, side, you got 328 for Red Bull, 265 for Ferrari, and then you have 204 for Mercedes. And I think Mark and I talked about it on uh, last week that... I don't think that this um, that this constructors championship is over yet, but not at the top. I mean, you look at like Ferrari and Mercedes. I don't think it's without uh, it's it's not a surefire thing for a sure shot thing for Ferrari that they could hold on to second in the championship. I mean, yeah. George looked Here pretty good Mercedes. this week. Here comes Mercedes. Exactly. I mean that that uh, that's not a big uh, gap. I mean, if you get Lewis and uh, George uh, pulling in the points, moving here on forward, I mean they could eat into that lead uh, that that Ferrari has over them. Hundred percent. Like uh, Mercedes looked incredible this weekend. Like they still have a little bit of bouncing in the higher speed corners, but outside of that, I mean, Lewis looked incredible. George looked incredible. I mean, it's, aside from the mistake that George made in well, obviously the race, but also in qualifying, he probably would have qualified that car P four P five for the race. But at the end of the day, I mean, George is like on another level as well. They have probably, in my opinion, the strongest driver pairing on the grid. And if you're Ferrari and you're in second, like you just, I just think you just can't, you need to get as many points as you can and you have to be aggressive. And that means giving up track position. That means double stacking. That means throwing whatever it is at the wall. And I think, you know, they're going to have to be worried about Mercedes because guys, they're starting to figure this car out. Tim, I'll just add to that because it just occurred to me as you were talking, we saw an awful lot of Lewis Hamilton on the broadcast today and rightfully so. At one point, mm-hmm. he was leading laps for the first time yeah. this year. He was potentially in a position to win a Grand Prix for the first time this year. But that didn't even occur to me that porpoising, that bottoming out was even an issue because the car just looked so balanced mm. and absolutely looked like it was on rails. And I was thinking more from an aero perspective, hey, they've got it dialed in, they're generating some more downforce, but it looks like they have the combination of the floor and the aero and New the upgrades. suspension. Everything yeah. seemed, yeah, everything yeah. just seems so balanced. And that's the other reason I was so heartbroken for George Russell today. And again, mm-hmm. thank goodness yeah. he was okay. Everyone yeah. was okay, but he's finished in P5 or better every Grand Prix this mm-hmm. year. What would his race have looked like? Could we have had two Mercedes cars battling for a podium today as well? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, you put like, cause George started that race on that hard tire compound. So you knew it, you knew right away what he was doing. Go as long as possible. Just go as long as possible and see what happens. But I think at the end of the day, you've got two, uh, two Mercedes cars that would have been battling for that P3, P2, even P1. I mean, at the end of the day, the Mercs were fast this weekend. It's the fastest they've been all season long. They look incredible. The car looks like it's just getting more and more dialed in every single weekend I've, uh, outside of Baku. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, even seeing them in Canada and up close and personal there, I mean, it just it the car just looks, it's starting to work and they're starting to figure this, figure this thing out. And it's all going to be down to, I think, maybe track dependent at some tracks here or there. Uh, how bumpy is the surface? How low can they put the car without the bottoming and the porpoising? But they're starting to get it, right? They're starting to, they're figuring it out. And so I think like for George and for Lewis in particular, I mean, that gives them a lot of confidence. Like you've, they've, this team has got a lot of confidence now moving forward for the rest of the season. And I think it's great as a viewer and a spectator. I don't know how you guys feel about this, that we have a third team now that's started to like knock on, knock on the door here. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Tim, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm going to pull back the curtains a little bit on our podcast. Definitely don't want to speak to the racing pod, but if you look at the historical data of our show and when our listeners respond to a podcast, if Mercedes is winning, people respond. If McLaren's winning, people respond. If Ferrari is winning, the needle gets blown off of the charts. Like Ferrari moves the needle like no other team. And this isn't designed as a criticism, I promise you, because I think some of the audience can be sensitive sometimes. And it's not a criticism of Red Bull, but Max winning, Red Bull winning doesn't really move the needle. And Red Bull running away with a championship does not move the needle for us. And that just reflects the fact that the broader F1 community loses interest. But if you've got a competitive Ferrari team that is vying for one or both championships, that's a good thing. And then for maybe the first time since the turbo hybrid era, we could have three teams now competing. And again, you you talked earlier when race 10, race 11, we still have 11 races left in the 22 race championship. You know what? Some crazier things have happened that we could have a three-team battle down down the last 11 races. And I think that's good for all of us because it stimulates interest in what we do, but it's good for everyone at home because it reflects the fact that this is a much more compelling product. And I don't want to see Max romp away with the championship. I don't want to see Lewis romp away with the championship. I just want to see what we saw over the last 10 laps of this race, which is three or four drivers battling for a win. Because what we saw today in those last eight, 10 laps was what I'm conditioned seeing in MotoGP and Indy, which is the race isn't a foregone conclusion with 10 laps left. In in Formula One, too often it is. And today was thrilling for that reason. Hopefully we see a lot more of this over the last half of this championship. One of the best F1 races I think I've seen. Oh and yeah, totally. Totally. This is a te- testament to the, the, the regulations um, and the regulations looking like they're starting to really work. Um, and it also a testament to the regulations in terms of how fast teams can bring upgrades, how fast teams can close that gap because Mercedes has closed that gap in, in the time that I don't think Lewis Hamilton even thought that they'd be able to do, because I remember speaking with him a few months ago and how this was just going to be a real difficult season. 
And for them to just try and close the gap to the front runners was going to be very hard because those teams are going to bring upgrades too and move the needle. And Mercedes was just going to be playing catch up, but they've really cut this deficit to, to the front runners guys, like, especially at a track like Silverstone, like they've really cut into that deficit. So now the next thing that has to happen is, okay, what's going to, what's it going to be like when they get to Austria? I mean, they'll probably be fast in sector two. They may struggle in a little bit of the slower sections, but that's something that they'll just need to work out over time and something that will come to them at the end of the day. Uh, if you're formula one, you have to be happy with what happened this recent, this weekend and what's happening with these regulations. You, you have to be, I think. Oh, totally. It was really, really exciting to watch. I mean, that the way they're going two abreast, three abreast, trading uh, positions uh, back and forth. Sergio ultimately comes home uh, P2, but it looked like he did cut the corner there was in the Vale chicane. What, what do you think, guys? Was that uh, right that the, that that just went the way that it did? Was an investigation uh, necessary? Did he gain any uh, track uh, or did he gain any lasting advantage? Maybe not uh, versus Lewis, but uh, maybe he had a bit of a, an advantage gained on uh, Charles Leclerc. Ultimately, did it work out the way it should? Because uh, there was some discussion on the with, with the commentary team on Sky Sports. Yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, here's the thing, right? You, you're, if you're leaving the track to gain an advantage, that's a penalty. You know, flat, flat out. I mean, that's what the FIA has deemed as being a penalty. Now, do I think what Sergio Perez, I mean, you could argue that like he could have been somewhat forced to go that, that route, right? I mean, sure. Right. There's an argument there to be made. And I, I don't know. I think you let it go. And I'll honestly, I, I think you let that one go. I'd like they did, obviously, but yeah, I, um, I, I don't, I didn't really see anything with it wrong, wrong with it. I mean, I, if, if it's like happening like all the time, I mean, obviously there's something seriously wrong, but if you're in a heated battle and, you know, things tend tend to happen. I mean, Perez was going to get him anyways, so. Yeah, and, and the thing for me was that there wasn't uh, too many, um, it, it wasn't uh, clear cut, it wasn't black and white, there was too many what ifs yeah. in one way or so. Gray I, yeah, 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 totally. But it was it was sure fun to watch there at the uh, at the end, and certainly, uh, you know, if, if we see more races like that, I mean, uh, we would be the, the the better for it. I mean, just like we saw in uh, in Saudi Arabia with uh, Max and uh, and Charles, those last four or five laps or whatever it was, that was exciting, exciting stuff. What, what did you guys think of uh, Leclerc and, and Hamilton going uh, side by side through cops? Because <laughs> that I, was awesome. That's what that I, was awesome. I will never, <laughs> I will, I am never going to forget that. I, every time we come back to Silverstone from here on out, uh, and, and you know, a lot of people online are making all these arguments for like, oh, see what happens when you race someone who's clean and they're hearkening back to the Verstappen and Hamilton crash and all that, but. I mean, Leclerc is the one who stuck it around the outside on a set of hard tires that were toast. I mean, that guy had everything to lose. Everything. Like, he, that must have felt like skating on ice yeah. for Charles Leclerc going around. And the commitment, the commitment for both drivers and the aggression. I loved every minute of it, man. I just... I just love that both drivers just stuck it in there. It was so good. Tim, I actually made a note of that. Uh, Just Leclerc's effort in those last eight laps on those 16, 18, 20, 22 lap old hard tires. 
unbelievable. Yeah, and it just really good. It just reinforced how hungry he is to, yeah. to make up positioning in this world drivers championship. I don't know if you guys caught this either. It's just kind of talking about the fact that we're seeing something of a Mercedes resurrection, but in the cool down room, uh, they, they stop talking to give you the opportunity to process some of the comments from the drivers, but Carlos Sainz looks at Hamilton and I quote, are you guys officially back with kind of this like <laughs> terrified, <laughs> petrified, like anxious yeah. tone? Yeah. Cause Carlos brought it up. Like he was even saying in the post-race press conference, just like how fast uh, Lewis was on the weekend, man, like how fast the, the Mercedes were as well as a whole, because their race pace was absolutely incredible. Their race yeah. pace was amazing. Um, yeah, so it was yeah, it was hilarious. I was laughing so hard when he said that because I was thinking the same thing you were, Hammy, when I saw a look on Carlos's face because it was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> and and here's, here's a reason to be excited. So obviously the, the front half of the calendars, it's a little bit disjointed because we have this blend of hybrid and street tracks. We have Saudi, we have Australia, we have Miami, we have Azerbaijan, we have Monaco, and we have Canada. You know, if we look at this sequence of races, we obviously had Silverstone. Now we have the Red Bull ring, we have Paul Ricard, we have the Angora ring. We go to spa. We have Zanvort. Then we're at Monza. Then we have a street track in Singapore. Then we're in Japan. Then we're in Austin. Then we've kind of got that hybrid in Mexico city. Then we're in Brazil and Abu Dhabi. Like it's a lot of traditional purpose built fast flowing circuits from here on out. And if this works for Mercedes, this could make the championship awfully spicy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great point. Yeah. You know, just uh, one thing I wanted to add uh, just uh, with that whole uh, thing with um, Charles and with Lewis, you know, sometimes that uh, phrase that gets kind of uh, overused that, uh, you know, things you can't unsee, it's always usually for something <laughs> negative or something, you know, unpleasant. But that is something that I can't unsee and I don't want to unsee because it was spectacular. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Hey, uh, just one more thing here, guys, and then uh, we're going to dive into the Twitter mailbag. We've got a bunch of uh, questions uh, to answer. Mick Schumacher, finally scoring some mm-hmm. points in Formula One, dedicates his uh, first uh, points in Formula One to his dad, the uh, the, the great uh, great Michael Schumacher. Guys, this has been a long time uh, coming. Mark, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit. Uh, your thoughts on MSC uh, bringing him some points uh, for Haas today? Yeah, there was a report out of Germany within the last week, and and I don't necessarily knew or know who the source was for this, as we rarely do, but there was a report out of Germany in the last week that said he had four races to score points or that seat would possibly be gone permanently. So I think that aside, I think this is a good news story. After the fact, he said... and. He dedicated it to his father, of course, which is only appropriate. Um, it's nice, obviously, you know, he's a year and a half into his Formula One career. Last year's Haas was a dog. It was purpose built to be a terrible car simply because they put all of their eggs in the 2022 basket. So he, he just never had a shot with that car last year. This year was a little bit more challenging for him. I think he felt pressure in a different kind of way simply because he's got a teammate that was capable of putting this car in the points and did right from the jump. Obviously, Magnus and scored a P5 in Bahrain to kick off the season. and The pressure was on. So whether he has a, a long career in Formula One or not, I feel really good for him that he was able to get into points. And obviously, Sebastian Vettel, who's worked really hard to mentor him over the last 18 months, celebrated with him. And even Max paid homage to the facts that he was able to score points and, and obviously um, credited them to his, his father, which was nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, coming into Canada... The team wasn't happy with him. And I think for him and his confidence, it just it wasn't it wasn't there. I mean, having the crash in Saudi Arabia and then spending a few races to try and chip away at the confidence to get it back 
and then having another big one in Monaco and then Gunther's, right. you know, Gunther's not happy. So I think at the end of the day for Mick to finally score some points does, you know, does this, uh, it gives him some breathing room with the team, but this is a car that can score points. Right. And hopefully this gives him the confidence to keep scoring points, but this is a car and I'll repeat it again, that can score points. This isn't a bad Haas car. It's, it's not, it's a good, it's a good one. It's solid. And they're going to be having some big upgrades coming in France. So we'll see what happens with that. But I even think if they don't get those upgrades by France, which they, they will, they'll still be competitive. They'll still be battling for like a P10 or a P9. And yeah, Mick, Mick's going to have to keep scoring points, guys. Like this isn't, this isn't it, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's good. It's good for him. And yeah, let's just keep following that story for sure. Cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, guys, uh, you relish uh, jumping into the Twitter mailbag and answering some questions. Hate mail? Yeah. <laughs> well, first one up is from... Uh, do we, get, from, do we from, get nice mail or do we get not nice mail? <laughs> well, no, they're mostly nice. The, the first one, uh, I think, is a little bit uh, off topic. This one is from uh, Max Power, which I think is Mark Hamilton's uh, burner account. <laughs> Uh, because it says, where do you think uh, KD Trey 5, so Kevin Durant, uh, will be traded to? So that's uh, obviously Hammy's See, that's for burner you. I'm, account. I'm guessing. I don't know, but I'm guessing that question's for you. <laughs> Me? Yeah. It's your burner okay. account, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll let the, we'll let Tim think about that. Okay, one. well, okay, okay, okay. You want where's to answer Kevin that? Okay. Durant? Okay, where's Kevin Durant going to get traded to? All right. I don't think it's going to be Toronto. Even though I'd love it to be Toronto, they'd have to give up Scotty Barnes to get him. They'd have to mortgage their future, I think, also to also to get him. Do you think they can get away with just giving him Siakam, uh, Gary Trent, a bunch of first rounders, maybe OG? I don't know. I don't think that's that's. I don't know if that would be enough. I don't think it would be. Where can I see him going? Well, I know Sam Presti has a whole bunch of draft picks that he could probably <laughs> give to the Nets. <laughs> so maybe OKC. the Thunder welcome him back. <laughs> there, there you go. Does that answer your question, uh, Max Power, a.k.a. Mark Hamilton? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that the listener would be content with that answer. <laughs> there you go. Okay, next question is uh, from uh, Michelle at Mish310. Uh, why would McLaren keep Daniel for next year? How many times has he finished out of the points this year? That's a great question. Looking Ricardo, he's only finished in the points twice this year. He got a sixth in Australia at his home race. He finished eighth at Azerbaijan a couple of weeks ago. Finished 13th at Silverstone uh, this afternoon compared to Lando, who finished in sixth. Lando's uh, been in the points four out of the five last races. And then he had a podium uh, back in... In uh, Imola, retired in Miami, 
And well, I mean, they had a horrible first race. I mean, Lando finished a uh, 15th in, uh, in, in Bahrain and then uh, he finished a seventh and then fifth in Saudi and then, uh, Australia. I mean, that's just light years ahead of uh, where Ricardo is. I mean, at, at this point, guys, I don't have any more excuses to make for Danny Ricardo. I mean, you could, you could have used the, um, you know, the excuse last year. Okay. is his first year with McLaren in a car that's uh, been designed for other drivers uh, that than he is. But I mean, this year, they're both dealing with a brand new car and, and new regs and everything like that. And and Lando is just so much further ahead of where Ricardo is. I don't know, guys. I've kind of like run out of like um, excuses and reasons. It's just, you know, where where do they go with it? I mean, you know, when you get like the, the CEO of McLaren, Zach Brown coming out and saying things aren't working out the way that we want them to with uh, with Daniel. I mean, the, the anytime you get like one of the brass, one of the big guns at any team, not just in Formula One, but any team in any sport anywhere, once the general manager, the president, the owner comes out and says, player X just is not living up to our expectations. That's usually one of the last nails in the coffin. Who wants to take that? Max Power, a.k.a. Mark Hamilton, or, or, or Tim Haraney, <laughs> a.k.a. Just, Tim Haraney? I'll quickly add this. Nowhere was... If you flash back to the last couple laps of this race, we have Lando Norris competing for a top five finish. And while that safety car is doing its thing, we're watching Daniel Ricciardo unlap himself. So the last 10 laps of this race were in, in, in kind of, in, in essence, kind of a perfect encapsulation of what we've seen this year, which is Lando consistently scoring points. He had the podium in Imola. He's been in the points one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. To your point daily, Ricardo's been in the points twice. You can't use that excuse that we had last year, which was the car wasn't designed for him. He wasn't familiar with the Mercedes power unit. He had input into this car. He's now in year two with the Mercedes power unit. I don't know where the excuses end. I just, I think there's a real opportunity cost here for Mercedes. And you know what? It's understood, Tim, you probably know better than I do that there's an option that maybe Daniel has for next year, which he'll probably exercise because he's going to want the money and rightfully so. But ultimately, these contracts are worth nothing because there's no collective bargaining agreement that governs and protects the driver. So if McLaren wants to, they can basically buy off the balance of this contract and seat somebody else in that seat because whatever it's going to cost for you to pay off the balance of that contract, you're probably going to make up for with constructors prize money by presumably putting a better driver in that car. I love Daniel. I am excited for his new Hulu project, which is apparently going to be a combination of ballers and and uh, entourage. So that is something I'm super excited about. I love ballers. I love entourage, but I don't know what excuses I can make for him anymore. And Tim, you're closer. You're interviewing these guys. I'm sure he's devastated. What, what, what explanation could you have or justification for bringing him back in 2023? Yeah, he was absolutely, uh, he, he was, he was pretty destroyed at the end of this race. I think for him was the understanding of not having pace and just no grip and, and not understanding why. And one of the things that they're, he is going to have to figure out is and fast before they get to the next race is, is why, why wasn't there pace and what happened with all the grip and what happened with him this weekend, you know, at a track that he's doesn't technically doesn't go that poorly at and it's also it's not like a heavy it's essentially not a super heavy braking track either so if we go i'm gonna really draw this one out here guys if we go if we go back a few races ago i had the opportunity to take a look at some data and lap comparisons from lando norris and daniel ricardo on both of their fastest laps 
and to see what that driving style like looks at by looking through all of their data. So I could I could see everything: steering, brake trace, gear shifts, uh, acceleration, um, speed in the corner, all that kind of stuff. Everything, <clears throat> lateral G's, all of it. And one of the most in, more interesting things was the braking, where Lando wasn't as aggressive, didn't brake as late, didn't attack the corner as much, carried a bit more speed towards the apex where Ricardo kind of like almost looked like he was driving it almost like a go-kart up on the front end and things like this. I've said on this podcast uh, before where, you know, he likes, it looks like he really likes a sharp, sharp nose to turn in, but with this regulation and these generation of cars, I mean, they just, they can't do it, right. They just, it can't. So I think for Daniel, it's trying to reinvent himself a bit. It's really difficult to do uh, in the confidence as well. And it kind of really looked like, you know, like getting to Canada, like he was chipping away, right? Like he was chipping away. He was getting some good results, you know, talking to him in the media pen. He was feeling good. He's feeling better. He thought he was getting there and getting there and then coming to Silverstone and just, oh my God, was the just so off the pace. I just couldn't believe how off the pace he was this weekend, guys. I just could not believe it. I was shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Yeah. He was shocked too. So <clears throat> most definitely a story to keep watching uh, at McLaren. And I think, Hammy, you bring up some good points with those contracts because at the end of the day, we all know and we've seen it because we've been around the sport for a long time. You know, these drivers are good one day and the next day, if you're not good, well, see you later. We'll get somebody else. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Okay, yep. um, next question comes from uh, Jen, Jenny Renfro. Uh, when will Ferrari have the hard conversation of team orders, or will they continue to let Charles and Carlos decide for themselves? Guys, I don't know about you, but when I think about uh, Formula One and team orders, the team that immediately pops to mind is uh, Ferrari, even though they all do it. We've seen them switch cars and drivers around uh, numerous times for numerous reasons at numerous tracks for all the teams. But uh, Ferrari just, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, the era that I kind of grew up in, but it always seemed like uh, <laughs> they were the ones that, uh, well, I guess we always go back to the time they switched uh, Barrichello and Schumacher around in Austria. And then Schumacher himself was too embarrassed to get on the top step of the podium and wanted Rubens to get up there instead. So, I mean, that's just uh, one example. But the current batch of uh, Ferrari drivers, Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc, where do they go with this? Because it seemed like they didn't want to pick favorites today, did they? Yeah, I don't know, Jen. I don't think you uh I don't think you can let those two drivers decide for themselves. Uh you know, cuz you just you can't do it. That's why I was saying earlier that Ferrari needs to decide here. Like now is the time. Now is the time, right? This, I th you know, that's great. Carlos has got his win, uh his first ever in Formula 1, first ever pole position, but like now is now's the time. Right. If you if you want to push for Charles to win this championship, uh, I feel like they will have to prioritize him moving forward. Hammy, any thoughts on that? You want to weigh in? You know, I, I agree. And I like the fact that you kind of teed this one up looking at the, the recent past, right? When you look at that 2015 to 2018 period when it was Kimmy and, and, uh, Sebastian Vettel, it was pretty clear that they brought Sebastian Vettel in as the four times world champion. And there was never any question about team orders where things really started to fall apart was 2019 when they brought Charles Leclerc in from, from, uh, 
from Sauber, and uh, it quickly disintegrated both in terms of relationship and, and on-track experiences and personalities off the off the grid. But to me, I thought it should have been clear or it should be inferred that if you have one driver who is preferred both from a contractual perspective and has a longer history with this team and has been successful and has won Grand Prix, that it's inferred. And for whatever reason, Matteo Bonato and this team don't seem to be comfortable having that conversation with their two drivers. But I don't think it's going to get even easier after Carlos Sainz wins a race today. But I think to Tim's point, they need to have that conversation. It needs to be clear that we have a driver in a position to win a world driver's championship has won races repeatedly since 2020 and deserves the opportunity or deserves to be given the opportunity to win a world driver's championship. Okay, next uh, question comes from at Speed Racer 430. We've already talked about this one, Tim. Speed Racer was uh, specifically asking about um, the updates for Nikki's car and just how that might mm. uh, be set back uh, just because, uh, you know, the way that uh, Albon's car got, uh, you know, toasted on uh, lap one there. Obviously, he's uh, a little bit uh, concerned. Uh, well, that, it says right at the end of the tweet, hope this doesn't slow down Nikki's progress. So, Mark, it sounds like you have a neighbor somewhere on uh, Latifi Island. So, I mean, rightly so. It's not so. a big island. I should be able to find <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, joking aside, though, I mean, you know, Nikki does have a good uh, weekend and then things start going right. And then, you know, it looks like he might be set back with the updates to his own car just because there's not going to be a heck of a lot left on uh, on his teammates. Uh, next question is uh, from uh, Ted Nesbitt at Ted Nes and a um, Ted was just asking about the the failure of the roll hoop and the airbox. We've talked about that. Just wanted to acknowledge Ted's tweet. I hope we uh, uh, answer that one. Then we've got one here that's basically being um, referenced by Tiffany O'Dell at F- F1G Flyer, and also where's the other one? Above Average at MKUK underscore three. Uh, talking about here rumored social media rumors that is about flexing floors. Tim, have you heard this? story about uh, perhaps flexing floors anywhere that's that's the first time i've heard of that you know to be quite honest so that's that's an interesting one nothing yet i mean the main thing was is trying to keep the floor as stiff as they could that's why they introduced that other uh second stay uh that a lot of the teams were upset about in canada where the fia issued the the td the technical delegate td39 i believe it was yeah and um having to do with porpoising or bouncing or vertical oscillations within the car and Mercedes just so happened to have a, a second stay floor stay on hand that they magically put onto the car for FP one. I was there. I saw it. It was like, Oh, that happened awfully quick. <laughs> <laughs> and then having all the teams complain about it the next day, which started a bit of an argument between uh, some team principals. So that being said, um, with these cars, they have to be stiff by the looks of things. Uh, and I think a big part of it is just how stiff are they going to be? And it it sounds like some of the teams are learning that like the sort of the stiffer they get the car, I mean, the, the more performance, but at the same time, uh, the more bouncing and the more porpoising and the more vertical oscillations that the cars generate. So it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting story that's been moving forward, but that's, that's so far what the the bigger picture is at the at, at the moment is this uh, TD thirty nine that's come in. 
Okay, cool. Uh, next one comes from uh, Guillaume at Just GLL. Um, just uh, talking about the whole science and can- ten car length uh, deal that we already uh, talked about. Uh, Joel Plourd, um, again talking about uh, Ferrari and their pit uh, strategies. Javier Ramos at Javi Ramos underscore or sorry Javi underscore Ramos eighty six. Checo Viva Mexico, obviously uh, very happy with the uh, uh, Perez and his P two. Uh, and the last question here is from Ian Beckstein at I Bex, uh, and his he has a couple of questions here, and he's also the video coach for the Abbotsford Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks uh, AHL affiliate. So very cool. One of the things that Ian is asking about, excuse me, is what are drivers looking for on track walks? Are they just looking at the composition of track, reference points, apex lines, etc.? Thanks. Tim, this one's all for you, my friend. Yeah, so uh, great question. On track walks, you look for a number of different things. How rough has the surface got? What does the surface feel like? What does the surface look like? That's one of the things you want to see. You want to see if there's any change in um, surface. So is it going from asphalt to concrete or concrete to asphalt going into corners? Where is it? And how is that going to affect the car? There's other things you want to look at in terms of, um, uh, camber and nature of camber. What does it look like? What is it? What will it feel like? And then also, uh, looking for some reference points that you think you may be able to use. They have to be fairly big, what you're looking for when you're doing your track walk, because when they go, when the reference points come or go by they're they look very small because you're moving at such a high rate of speed. So they usually have to be something that's a little bit larger. And, um, yeah. And just other than that, you know, you want to see also where the marshalling stations are, where are the fire extinguisher stations, where are the exits you can wheel a car off to when you need to get the car off the track. Um, and also like, things like escape roads because sometimes if you don't and i ran into this problem if you don't go and uh navigate an escape road properly and like take a look at where it goes you can actually get lost on escape roads and so uh uh yeah and then you have to do like a a a 180 and then if you decide that you want to drive out of the escape road instead of missing the turn that takes you back onto the racetrack you get a penalty because now you're driving into oncoming traffic so these are also little things you want to take a look at so there you go (laughs) cool cool all right mark anything you want to add to that only that this exact same question actually came up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to uh, Matt Clark, and he's basically reiterated all the same points, he's talking about the surface and the texture of the surface. But the other thing that he mentioned as well is oftentimes when you are visiting a track for the first time, you may only have experienced it through iRacer in your sim. And he's like, one of the things that they look for is changes in elevations because the, the, the simulators don't necessarily do a great job of capturing elevation changes in a track. And I thought that was interesting, but yeah, otherwise pretty much everything that tim mentioned well rough roughness as well right i mean simulators simulators are and this is the thing with the young drivers right it's like simulators are great but driving being at the track walking the track experiencing the track in real like real life is so much more important you learn so much more um the simulator is just a bit of a tool right it's not it'll help you with getting better uh, at, with consistency, it'll help you with understanding how to push, when to push. It'll help you understand uh, how to piece a lap together because you keep getting that experience. 
And it'll give you an understanding of what the car kind of feels like, but it won't necessarily give you all of the experiences of the bump. Where are the bumps, right? Because like sometimes you use a bump to turn a car into a corner. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you go over a bump and you use that as your reference points for when you're going to start braking. Like, okay, here, you know, you're going to go over the bump. You'll know when the bump is. So as soon as you go over it, it's time to start your braking immediately. So those are all other little tiny things that obviously the the sim doesn't, doesn't offer. How handy would that come in at the uh, the old Nurburgring at the Nordschleife? It's like it probably take you about a week to walk around it, but you have the carousel, which is you know even though they don't race there anymore, like in modern 100%. race cars, you have the carousel 100%. where they go into the carousel that has like the sort of like this bank corner with like a concrete sort of part to the track to it. But they, I, I remember that the reference point they have for the corner would be like this tree that was somewhere in the forest that was taller than all the other ones, and that's what the drivers would use to mm-hmm. to, to go into the corner there. And I mean, well, the Nurburgring itself is kind of or the the, the Nord- Sleep at anyways is kind of one of those crazy, crazy old school tracks that you know, rightly we never <laughs> will never race on again. But <laughs> very, very cool and how creative that race drivers get sometimes when uh, you know trying to navigate and find reference points on a racetrack. All right, well, guys, I think that's pretty much everything we got to tonight. Before we wrap up, Tim, let everybody know where they can find you and find you online and all all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- First of all, guys, it's a lot of fun. Thanks again. Uh, if anybody wants more from me, you can get me on social media at Tim Haraney. Uh, if you want more from my podcast, you can get it at tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod, or you can get the TSN Racing Pod where, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah. Other than that, guys, this has been a lot of fun, like always. Always, Tim. And Hammy, before we go, I feel like we haven't had you let, let you had your fair share of the mic tonight. So why don't we let you take it and sign off uh, for, for us? My friend, you're far too kind. Of course, you can follow us uh, at Skidaria F1 Pod on Twitter, eventually on Instagram. If you like what you hear, if you like us, obviously, we would be hugely honored if you could give us a rating on Spotify. A rating or a review on Apple Podcasts would be amazing as well. And as we've been alluding over the last couple of weeks, we have some merch in progress. We're hoping to deploy that uh, September, October, November for the fall, for the winter. It's going to be a limited run of navy blue hoodies that match the, the branding and the color of our show but tim thanks as always for doing this Uh, our listeners absolutely love that we've been collaborating on these race reviews so hopefully we can uh, keep doing this for the foreseeable future yeah this was a lot of fun thanks again guys it's midnight here over uh on the east side so uh i'm going to bed (laughs) and well deserved (laughs) have a great night all right everybody thanks for listening check out the tsn racing pod check us out scooter f1 pod weekly show is going to drop in a couple days so make sure you navigate to both of those feeds and hit the sub button until then have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now